The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 84 of the Book Mormon Podcast. Kevin and Shelby here, and we're recording on the road today. How fun. Where are we, Kevin? We're over here in Maryland. Oh, jeez. Visiting our friend Mary and her husband James. Wow. We're very grateful for their hospitality they're not on the podcast as guests or anything, um, but we've we've stolen away. We're out here um, in the wilderness recording in private. Um, we are not in the wilderness. We're in a bedroom. <laughs> anyway, I just I feel like we're Alma, you know, and his people. Oh, okay. Out there in private discussing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Touche. Last time, we discussed um, Alma and his people entering into a covenant with the Lord uh, establishing the church, and it came to pass that um, they, the King Noah, wicked King Noah, sent his army out to find Alma um, and his people. And luckily, Alma was, it says he was apprised or warned of their coming. And so they were able to escape. And now we're in chapter 19 of the book of Mosiah. And it picks up right where the last chapter uh, left off. And we're just going to dive in. Let's do it. In verse 1, it came to pass that the army of the king returned, having searched in vain for the people of the Lord. And now, behold, the forces of the king were small, having been reduced. And there began to be a division among the remainder of the people. There's always a division. (laughs) I, I feel like at any point, that there's division, something's going to happen. Something's on the horizon. Yeah. Especially thus far in the Book of Mormon, the pattern shows that when there's a division, there's usually then a separation of people, or there's someone in bondage, or someone's not being treated fairly. Um, It always comes. So I think that should give us a hint of maybe what is about to come. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I think we we come to realize or see that the, the reason for this division is poor leadership, right? When the leadership is strong, it leads to a unified people, unified in purpose, and all that. Zion. Yeah, Zion people, right? I wanted to 
uh, talk about this point that it says that the forces of the king were small having been reduced. Now, we know that there's a precedent for King Noah not sending enough of his forces mm-hmm. to do work. I think we have, um, I, I forget exactly. There's evidence in the scriptures. Yeah, there's that. there's definitely evidence in the scriptures. It's like, it's earlier, I think, in in one of the first chapters, um, like immediately when, when King Noah takes over, he, he doesn't send enough soldiers out to battle. But I don't think that this has as much to do with the actual number of soldiers. Um, but Noah's influence was reduced because of the failure to find Alma and his followers. Right. So it's like, you know, now, I, and I could be totally wrong. This is just my interpretation. But Alma, you know, King Noah, he kind of reported or, or made it seem like Alma is this big traitor. He's like a, a, a traitor of the nation. If you think back in, in our own history, um, it, it causes the people to have less trust or, or less confidence in their leaders if they don't find the bad guy, if they don't get the bad guy. That's why it was such a big deal for the United States when they found Saddam Hussein in Iraq or when they finally found Osama bin Laden. Like, that was a major victory, not only, um, you know, like a physical victory over uh, a person, but it was like a little national victory mm-hmm. well in this case there was no victory they went out they searched in vain for alma and his people they can't even find these like 200 or 400 people mm-hmm. right um and you know king noah's like bad mouthing them like oh there's savages out there in the wilderness right you know who knows um but i i, I digress i believe that that's what it's talking about because immediately it talks about um, there's a division. There began to be a division among the remainder of the people. I think that also occurs when the leadership is failing. Mm. Okay? I agree. And so uh, at when this great contention starts to begin among them in verse 3, mm-hmm. um, and the lesser part of the people breathe out threatenings against the king. There's a guy named Gideon who's described as being a strong man and described as being an enemy to the king. And he basically swears in his wrath uh, that he'll he'll slay King Noah. He's kind of the voice of the little people. Yeah, he's definitely... The lesser part. Right. So he goes after the king, and this man's named Gideon. I think you said that. Sorry, mm-hmm. I repeated you. Um, and he goes after the king to get him. And let's see here. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. It says, And Gideon pursued after him and was about to get up, get upon the tower to slay the king. And the king cast his eyes round about towards the land of Shemlam, Shemlon, yeah, sorry. And behold, the army of the Lamanites were within the borders of the land. 
And now the king cried out in the anguish of his soul, saying, Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us, and they will destroy us, yea, they will destroy my people. So he's about to slay him when they're on the the tower, apparently, to be able to see the whole land, and they see Lamanites approaching. And so he's like, spare me, spare me, don't kill me. And in verse 8 it says, And now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was his own life. Nevertheless, Gideon did spare his life. So even though the king, Noah, was like, Hey, my people are going to die, he was really just concerned about his own life. Um, And so Gideon says, All right, I won't kill you. And so they, they, of course, I feel like you have something to say. I have... I have one thing to add about this exchange between Gideon and King Noah. Okay. Um, hopefully I'm not interrupting you too much. Um, this is very much like a half, like it's what I would call a half measure, meaning Gideon only did half the job. He swore that he would slay King Noah. He found him, he chased him, he confronted him, and... But he didn't get the whole job done. And at first, it's not clear why he spared King Noah. Do you do you have any idea why he would have spared King Noah? Well, he asked him to. That's true. So Noah basically that's begged. That's one reason. So he, he kind of showed mercy. Yeah. I think we're going to see that Gideon, and it doesn't straight forwardly say it in the scriptures but based on Gideon's later actions he becomes more more set in his resolve like he's going to get the job done I just wanted to kind of build up to that point with this where I just I think that it was a mistake that Gideon made to spare King Noah but later he really he understands, like, hey, that probably wasn't the best decision to show mercy to him because now he's messing things up for my people. Yeah, I'm going to give a little bit of pushback, though. Sure. Because we know that everything is expedient that happens. So even that split-second decision um, of sparing his life, it was expedient that it happened in the development of the story and his life. Gideon and King Noah. So, I get what you're saying, and I do agree, but I also see the flip side of it. I definitely believe that if the Lord wanted Gideon to slay King Noah, uh-huh. he, it would have happened. So, I, I agree with you there, that there's there's a matter of, like, is, all things are expedient. Mm-hmm. I just believe that we'll see that Gideon learns from this. He learns from it, right. I think would be the better way to say and, it. And of course it's expedient. If he learned something, then of, even doubly expedient. Because that's doubly. the whole... Yeah. I like that word. Anyway. Okay. Go on. Go ahead. Uh, I, I interrupted you. You, you were talking about um, following the sparing of King Noah. Um, yeah, I don't really know where I was going, but (laughs) the king, he does command Noah, King Noah, 
that they flee because the Lamanites are coming upon them. And, like, everybody. He's, like, going to the wilderness. Um, and the Lamanites come and they do begin to overtake everybody. Like, everybody. Right? And so that's, like, it's pretty dramatic that King Noah, he sees the Lamanites coming into the land and he says for everybody to just leave everything. They're not, they don't even put up a defense at this point. Well, yeah, well, they don't have very much defense. I know. Right? I mean, they had to have been in just a terrible situation. Noah had to have put them yeah. in a really bad situation for them to not even be able to defend themselves. I mean, Zenith built up walls mm-hmm. and all these things and... King Noah, he he had a tower built, but really only so he could, like, look around his um, his land, right? Yeah. I just think it's crazy. It's like, wow, like, they just leave. They leave everything. And then they, because <laughs> the Lamanites come, they, they pursue them and overtake them and begin to slay them. Uh, King Noah commands the men that they should leave their wives and their children. And it says there were many that would not leave them, but had rather stay and perish with them. And the rest left their wives and their children and fled. It came to pass that those who tarried with their wives and their children caused that their fair daughters should stand forth and plead with the Lamanites that they would not slay them. And then the Lamanites had compassion um, because because. <laughs> because they were charmed. What I like about this is that the people who did stay with their wives and their children, they obviously had more values than those that fled. And the thing that I love is that they didn't just sit down and lay down and say, kill me, you know, and surrender. <clears throat> they used their, their brains. They and decided, well, let's try to come up with something. And that something was, let's get our woman, um, our, they're beautiful, and let's present them to the Lamanites and try and char- charm them. I almost said charge, <laughs> but charm them. And they didn't, I just like that they didn't just take the Lamanites. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I just like that they made a plan in a moment of like very intense like oh my gosh what do we do and they chose to stay with their wives and their children so of course they're gonna feel inspired they didn't just run away like the other ones which when i was reading this i was like kevin better never run away from me (laughs) (laughs) he runs away from me Mm -mm. (laughs) anyway i i appreciate what you said about you know the people who stayed they had stronger values more and, of a moral compass, too. Right, moral courage. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, this was this was not a lay down and die. It was, like you said, using, being, like, their ingenuity. And, uh, and they negotiated a surrender. That's the thing, is that they, they... They knew they weren't going to win. Right. So they tried to do the best they could. And they probably... At that point, they thought, you know, running probably wasn't the best idea either. You know, we need, we can't outrun these people with all of our wives and kids. 
Right. I mean, it takes a long time. All these Lamanite soldiers, they're they're just booking it. But the people of Nephi, or here, they are encumbered, right? They're weighed down with all these children and wives and stuff. And so the Lamanites, they they spare their lives, but they take them captive. They carry them back to the land of Nephi, and they they set conditions. They set up and impose a, a tax of 50%, half of everything the Nephites have, uh, to be paid to the Lamanites. The king of the Lamanites. Yeah, to the king of the Lamanites. And this is kind of a, you know, this is kind of what... But it's also under conditions that they're going to go find King Noah. That's right. Yeah. There, well. there are conditions set. There's um, that, and then the one half of what you said. Like, one half of everything. So, there was a... There's a... A son of King Noah. And he's among those taken captive. His name is Limhi. Mm-hmm. We know him, right, from back early in the record of Zenith. This is where Ammon... And his brethren find the people in the the land of Nephi. They find a king, Limhi, and they discover that he's a pretty good guy. He seems to be in a bad situation with the Lamanites, giving up half of everything that they have and all that they possess, everything that they generate in their land. Mm -hmm. And so this is, now we see his origin story. (laughs) And it's interesting, it says that... uh, you know, oh, and on the condition that they deliver up King Noah to the Lamanites, but in verse 17 says, And now Limhi was desirous that his father should not be destroyed. Nevertheless, Limhi was not ignorant of the iniquities of his father, he himself being a just man. So we begin to learn a little bit about Limhi. In the next verse, And it came to pass that Gideon sent men into the wilderness secretly. To search for the king and those that were with him. Probably because Limhi wasn't doing it. Correct. Yeah. And what I like about that is is that somebody had to make the hard decision. And Limhi wasn't the one to do it, right? But Gideon was. Yeah. And this goes back to what I believe is that Gideon feels that he didn't get the whole job done. And so he's going to, he's now going to muster his own resources and he's going to get it done. He's going to go after King Noah and the rest of the people that fled. So, excuse me. Okay, sorry. I was trying to adjust our table here, a little (laughs) setup. So Limhi, okay, you already said that, sorry. So Gideon, they go into the wilderness, um... And this is in verse 18, and it says, And it came to pass that they met the people in the wilderness, all save the king and his priest. Mm -hmm. So there had been people that ran away with the king, right? Right. As I understand it, King Noah and his priest. But they didn't actually find them. They just found other people. They didn't didn't find who they were looking for. And so uh, these people that they found uh, returned to the land of Nephi and... They want revenge on King Noah because I think like King Noah just like straight up ditched them, 
when they ran away. That's how I'm taking it in verse 19, right? In verse 19, it says, Now they had sworn in their hearts that they would return to the land of Nephi, and if their wives and their children were slain, and also those that had tarried with them, that they would seek revenge and also perish with them. So, yeah, it's a little bit confusing. The, the, the writing in the next chapter, or in this chapter and the next, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, not well written. Um, well, or it, I just need to keep reading. Well, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to understand. And that's okay, because we will study it out. So basically what's happening is that the people who decided to follow Noah, who, who left their wives and their children, they then have a disputation there in the wilderness with everybody, with the king. They say, hey, we're, we're going to go back and we're going to, we, we regret what we did in leaving our wives and children. We want to repent. And if we go back there and we find that our wives and children have been slain by the Lamanites, we will also fight and it will either take revenge on the Lamanites for what they've done and we may die with our, our wives and children. So that's what's going on there. Um, and as you said, if we continue reading, it explains a little bit more. The king commanded them uh, there in the wilderness when they decided, hey, we're going to go back. He commanded them that they should not return. They became angry with him, and they turned on him. They caused that he should suffer even unto death by fire. So that's why King Noah and his priests ran away. Because they don't want to die by fire. Well, K King Noah does die. They, they kill him. And before they kill the priests, they were going to do the same thing to them. They were able to escape. But, yeah, King, King Noah is is dead. Doesn't say that. Might not. Does it? It just says that the way I understood it is that they were about to take the priest and put them to death and they fled before them. They escaped. The priests did, but King Noah was was burned by fire. I don't think he, he's burned by fire yet, right? Um, Maybe I'm not. Yeah, because in verse 23 it says, And the people told the men of Gideon that they had slain the king, and his priests had fled from them farther into the wilderness. Okay, sorry. It's okay. Like, this, <sighs> it begins to become confusing because you, you have three different sets of people. You have the people who stayed with their wives and children, and that includes Limhi and Gideon. Then you have these people that Gideon and his men, who are secretly looking for King Noah and his priests, they go out and they find another group of people who are a portion of those who fled deeper into the wilderness, leaving their wives and children. And now we have a third group, which is King Noah's priests, who fled even more because they didn't want to get killed with the king. So, there, yeah, but luckily, and isn't that interesting how 
we see how people get scattered over and over and over again. Like this is an example of a scattering of Israel, right? Yeah. what (laughs) yeah okay it is so now are we are we on the same page yeah (laughs) i'm just tired (laughs) (laughs) no you don't you don't get away with that so easily okay (laughs) so now in 24 in verse 24 really interesting and i did a little bit of looking up on this it says and it came to pass that after they had ended the ceremony that they returned to the land of Nephi rejoicing because their wives and their children were not slain. And they told Gideon that what they had done to the king. So just to ensure everybody's on the same page, Gideon goes out. He finds a portion of the people who are repentant. They want to return to the land of Nephi. They've slain the king. And the king's priests have fled. So they're not with them. That's just to make sure we're, we're current. In verse 24, when it talks about this ceremony, they had ended the ceremony. It's really interesting, like, what ceremony are they talking about? You can look up, you are leader, our, our reader, <laughs> and our, our listener, excuse me, any reader of the Book of Mormon, you can do a little bit of looking on Google, but be careful there. They're not always authorized or approved sources. Um, but in my little research, there's a couple of theories of why the use of the word ceremony was used. <laughs> there's one theory that, that it's it shouldn't be ceremony, that it may have been a typo um, by the um, in the original manuscript or something like that. That when Oliver Cowdery was writing it down, he wrote ceremony, like C-E-R-M-O-N, meaning sermon, a misspelling. So maybe it's like after this discussion happened. But then there's also uh, some biblical uh, reference to a ceremony after you know the the killing of somebody so it's possible that there was a ceremony uh, because we know that later in the book of mormon after certain people are killed uh, mainly like antichrists and enemies of the state that there is a kind of ceremony or ritual that follows so you know go and go and look that up for yourself i don't have a comprehensive and i don't want to say one way or the other because it really is kind of a a little mystery um of what actually is being referenced here but that is one of the the cool things about the book of mormon um and i do believe that we can find out we can find an answer um, for ourselves if we if we do the study. So I just wanted to point out that because it it struck out to me very clearly. I was like, "Whoa, wait a second! What ceremony are they talking about?" 
So. I didn't even thank you. I didn't even think of the word. I just went past it. Well, and so I love for it. The, the first uh, several times I've read the Book of Mormon, I did the same thing. Um, and for some reason this time it, it stood out to me. Um, but yeah. So I feel like I'm just going to keep getting this story wrong because I've been jacking it up today, <laughs> but well, there's, it's very heavily narrative driven and we, we had planned to move through this a little bit faster, um, which we're, we're making good time actually, but, uh, there's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of little back and forth, but we got to keep, we got to keep trucking. So where do, where are we going from here? Gideon and these people, they return to the land of Nephi. They make an oath to the Lamanites, to the king of the Lamanites. And the king of the Lamanites makes an oath to them that, hey, we won't slay you. Verse 26, and also Limhi, being the son of the king, having the kingdom conferred upon him by the people, uh, made oath, right, he made an oath to the king as well. Um, and they Well, that's another oath, that his people should pay tribute unto him, even one half. Right. I, I, the reason I didn't continue that verse is because we'd already talked about it. We'd already mentioned, but you're right. The The oath that Limhi makes to the king of the Lamanites is... We're going to give you half of everything that we have. The oath that the king of the Lamanites makes to Limhi's people is that as long as you do that, we won't slay you. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a it's kind not, of a raw deal. Yeah, it's not ideal. He sets up, well, the king of the Lamanites sets up guards to make sure they don't run away, basically. Try to flee. Um, and for two years, this works. This setup works. Yeah, and and the fact that it only it only works for two years just shows that it's this is not a long term solution. Um, I think Limhi probably put in us in kind of a situation like an offer he couldn't refuse. Because what are they going to do, you know? Well, it's either that or die. Right. So, they want to live. So, chapter 20. Now, we find, we it, it begins talking about these Lamanite daughters. And there's a place that they go in Shemlon to gather themselves together, to sing, to dance, to make themselves merry. And the priests of King Noah, being ashamed to return to the city, they're out there in the wilderness and they're watching these daughters of the Lamanites. And when there are few enough of them, they go... And, and it's 24 
of the daughters of the Lamanites. So it's not just a couple, but it's quite a few. Mm -hmm. The priests go and they, they carry them off to a secret place in the wilderness. So then the Lamanites, they know their daughters are missing, right? Right. And they think that the people of Limhi did it. So they're like, this isn't fair. <laughs> they said they wouldn't do that. Like, remember, they made oaths. And so they send their armies to the king, um, the land of Nephi, to destroy the people of Limhi. So they're mad. <laughs> and no, what? go for it. <laughs> and <clears throat> excuse me. And now Limhi had discovered this is verse eight them from the tower. Even all the preparations for war did he discover. Therefore he gathered his people together and laid wait for them in the fields and in the forest. So Limhi is like, oh no, I can see that something's happening, and he doesn't quite know why at this point, but he will figure it out because he actually is kind of a little bit of a good leader. Uh, well, he had a, a little bit of a good quality, I would say, later on. I'll bring it up when we get there. Um, so, and it says in verse 9, it came to pass when the Lamanites had come up that the people of Limhi began to fall upon them from their waiting places and began to slay them. So he does make preparations for war, too. Yeah, as best he can. Right, because he doesn't want to die. <laughs> and he's only doing that because he saw them doing that. He's like, they're breaking their oath, so I'm going to break my oath. Right. Um, and it says, they fought like lions for their prey. In verse 10. And it came to pass that the people of Limhi began to drive the Lamanites before them, yet they were not so numerous as the Lamanites. But they fought for their lives and for their wives and for their children. Therefore they exerted themselves and like dragons did they fight. So, they're really fighting for a cause. Yeah. They're, they're, they're passionate people. Um, and so they're able to push back the Lamanites in this situation. And they find that uh, the king of the Lamanites is among their dead. But then they find out that he's not dead. He's just wounded. And so they bind up his wounds and they take him before Limhi and they're basically like hey here's the king um, now you can slay him so Limhi says don't slay him I want to talk to him and that's the part that I am referencing that makes him kind of a good leader because <laughs> I put a smart leader will ask before he accuses and gathers information first. So, because at this point, Limhi doesn't even know what he's doing. All he knows is that he has to defend his people because he saw the Lamanites coming up and he's like, what is going on to Limhi? I mean, yeah, what is going on with the king of the Lamanites? And so I think that makes a good quality in a leader. He said, no, don't kill him. I want to talk to him first. For sure. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, I think Limhi at this point, he's definitely doing the best he can. Um, when he questions the king of the Lamanites, 
and discovers that, hey, the, the reason that the king of the Lamanites broke his oath to not slay them is that the Lamanites believe that the Nephites have taken their daughters. Mm-hmm. And, and Limhi has, like, no idea about Yeah, this. Limhi doesn't know anything about that. Because we know it's the priest of King Noah. <laughs> right. We know something that he doesn't. Um, and so it says in verse 16, And now Limhi had heard nothing concerning this matter. Now, I don't want to be like, I don't want to push back against what you said just now, that he does have some qualities of a good leader. He's making some rational decisions. Mm-hmm. But he's also, he seems to be kind of out of touch with his people. Because not only does it say he had heard nothing concerning this matter, but then he says, hey, I'm going to search my people. And whosoever has done this thing shall perish. And so he begins to cause a search to be made among his people. And cooler heads prevail with Gideon. He's, he heard these things, he being the king's captain. And he went forth and said unto the king, I pray thee, forbear. So hold up. And do not search this people and lay not this thing to their charge. He's like, you know that your people are good. They, they wouldn't do this thing. Remember how King Noah's priests are still out there in the wilderness? Mm. It's they who did this thing. And he asks that, um, well, he goes on and he does, he does some teaching, Gideon does. And now behold, and tell the king of these things that he may tell his people that they may be pacified towards us. For behold, they are already preparing to come against us, and behold, also, there are but few of us. So he's like, listen, we've got we've to do something. And he also points back to the words of Abinadi. He says, for are not the words of Abinadi fulfilled, which he prophesied against us, and all this because we would not hearken unto the words of the Lord, and turn from our iniquities. And now let us pacify the king, and we fulfill the oath which we have made unto him. For it is better that we should be in bondage than that we should lose our lives. Therefore, let us put a stop to the shedding of so much blood. Part of me wants to be like, it's not better to be in bondage you know, I'm maybe this is just the American spirit in me, and maybe the fact that we've been in we were in Washington D.C. this week, but it's like liberty, give me liberty or give me death, right? <laughs> but that's 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 not the culture of the time. The culture of this time is monarchy. It's you know, hey, I'm gonna be subject to somebody. I might as well be subject to somebody and alive than dead. Right? Yeah. So, um, Limhi tells the king of the Lamanites <laughs> all of these things that happened uh, concerning his father and the priest that had fled, and he attributed the carrying away of the daughters to them. And now the king of the Lamanites is pacified. He renews the oath 
and Limhi is able to now take care of the situation. Um, so that ends for, uh, uh, chapter 20. Anything you want to add before we end the chapter? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. You summed it up very nicely. It, it continues... <clears throat> before we move on, the Lamanites continue to show compassion. And this is something that you know, frankly, I think is, is kind of like, um, there's some continuity issues in my opinion. Like are the Lamanites a ferocious bloodthirsty people or are they a compassionate people? Because we keep hearing two sides of that story. So is it that they are, they are still humans. They're still being, um, you know, influenced by the spirit of the Lord in some ways, but they're just, they're not on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just that. I mean, it could be, I don't, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, it's just a, it's a discussion that I'd like to have at some point, and maybe we need to have a broader view of all of the Lamanites' behavior toward the Nephites and vice versa. But it it's just interesting because back in Jacob, we hear that they're this bloodthirsty people, that they can't be satisfied you can hardly negotiate with them, but then now here in the land of Nephi with the people of Limhi um, and King Noah and Zenith, there's always been this like ability to reason with them and uh, an element of compassion. Even Zenith talks about, I saw something in the Lamanites that made me say, no, I'm not going to destroy them when he had the chance it's this goodness that's in them and so and, and I think it's a lot of the time it's, it's based on the narrative like who who's talking and in what what's the attitude at the time so I don't know it's just interesting it's also it also makes me think of uh, not to go too far off track but it's also like if a soldier fighting in a military, he has to understand that the people that he's fighting on the other side, they're not like these inherently wicked, evil people. They're just another guy who happens to be on the other side, and he has a family too, and he has... A job that he's gonna he wants to go back to and and all these things so maybe there's something like that maybe what we continue to hear about is you know the rank-and-file Lamanite if you will is just a man or a woman who want the best for their family and they happen to be 
divided against the Nephites because of these false traditions and these perpetuated hatreds that they they're they're succumbing to from time to time and the only reason i bring it up really is because that's we can take something away from that for our day too right we can take away that when we see people who don't agree with us even people who we believe are really wrong we don't always see the whole picture we can have compassion on them they may even be able to have compassion on us and so it's important to remember our brotherhood and that, that we're all children of a heavenly father so i would just add that the lamanites intent of their heart at times is not right like their right. intent here is right but i think it all comes down to the intent of their heart because there's times where they don't even care they're not they don't care at all they just want to kill people they're just angry bloodshed they're not thinking about the other man and his family and that kind of thing so i would just say i guess the difference is the intent of their heart right now of the group of people of lamanites and we know that the the intent of the lamanites at least the king of the lamanites is hey we're gonna have compassion on you now so that you can become our servants basically we're going to take half of everything you have. Yeah. But, so yeah, there's there's a thread that we can continue to pull there as we read the Book of Mormon, but it would, I would feel that I, I hadn't said everything that I wanted to say if I didn't bring it up. Um, so, anyway, that ends chapter 20. You know, and we were going to get through 21, and 22 today but i think we'll go ahead and end it there because we had a good little discussion there at the end next week we can finish the record of zenith and get back to alma and his people the the people of the lord in the wilderness so sounds like a plan stan well um if any of those of you who are listening, have anything that you want to add to the discussion, hit us up on Facebook or if you have our phone numbers, shoot us a text, something. We'd be happy to continue the conversation with you. But until next time, enjoy Mary and James singing in the car. This was on the way back from DC, just to give you some perspective. Lots of traffic, so enjoy the singing. <laughs> Bye.